0: the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. My first impression when I read that, I don't know what yours is, is why? Why? I mean, if the point, the Bible says, Jesus, God says he desires all men to come to a knowledge of him. He doesn't desire anybody to perish. So if that's the case, then how come he makes the way to life, the gate's small and the road's narrow, and the way to death, the gate is wide and the road is broad. That doesn't make sense to me. If the if the goal is to see people come into right relationship with you, God, then how come you've made it seemingly more difficult to connect with you than you have to not connect with you not connect with you? How come you've made it seemingly more difficult to find you than to not? And so I was thinking about that. I have a, several pictures, uh, mental pictures I want you to think about. Maybe it'll provide a little clarity on this passage if this has been something that's kind of tripped you up. As well, if reading this makes you think in some level that God is stingy with salvation, that He's trying to keep people out, that He's created this really high bar that nobody can clear, that He's, you know, there are all these tests that you have to get through. And if you happen to get through, then He kind of begrudgingly says, okay, I guess you're in. But His hope is to filter out as many people as possible. First picture, I was, um, a friend of a friend let me go stay at their place on Wednesday in Elijah. So I was, um, we went, Brandon and I went and had a day and away from the office. It was really good. And we enjoyed it. It was wonderful. And you can imagine if I'm writing this guy a thank you note and I'm saying, dear John, thanks so much for letting us use your house. It was wonderful. You were so generous and hospitable. Everything was, was great. It would be awesome for me if, but before you invite me back again, if there's some way for you to four lane. That road, or see if you can straighten the curves out a little bit. I got a little motion sick driving through your your driveway is gravel. It'd be great if you could pave that as well. See about some of the red lights going up 575. It takes a look. Yeah, of course, no, no. He didn't. Have, he didn't owe me anything. He 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 freely says, "Hey, come stay in my house." And who am I to gripe about the way to get there? He doesn't owe me. Anything, Jesus says this in John fourteen. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. So again, the same picture. There's a house. God has a house and Jesus preparing a place for us and any road to that house is an expression of his grace. He doesn't have to invite any of us in. So if the road is broad or if it's narrow, if it's uphill or if it's downhill, if it's curvy or if it's straight or if it's paved or if it's ground, like none of that matters. All of it is an expression of grace. God was under no compulsion. He was under no obligation to invite any of us into his house. Bible very clearly teaches the wages of sin Is death, and all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What we deserve is to die. And so any invitation to life, by definition, is an an invitation from a posture of grace. And again, for us to gripe about the road comes across as a bit petty and ungrateful. Again, he's chosen to, to, to make a way for us to come into his house, if you will, to enter into a relationship with him And it's pretty small-minded of us to gripe about the way he has chosen to do that. A different picture, this idea of the gate being small. If you can imagine, maybe not a a, a wall, maybe more than a fence. The gate is small by necessity. It's it's one person wide. That's the width of the gate. Because Jesus is the only one who is able to... Hold on, I'm just going to wait a second. Do you want me to switch microphones? You're not a sound guy. (laughs) I'll switch it. Hey, there is a sound guy who is supposed to have the day off. Perfect. Now we're good. Maybe it was me. actually penetrated the wall. Uh, This barrier between us and God, we call sin, but there's other ideas out there. Some people say there is no wall between you and God, or or if there is a wall, there's all kinds of gates because ultimately all paths lead to heaven. God's such a loving, if God is this loving God that you're portraying him to be, then of course he's going to let everybody come in. Other people say the issue, there is a wall, but the problem is it's just knowledge. You don't you don't recognize God in you. You just need to be enlightened. You just need to have the light bulb come on and recognize that God is in you, and he's in you, and he's in me, and he's all over the place. And, and that's really the only thing keeping us from him is that a misunderstanding on our part. Other people talk about behavior. Yes, there is a wall, and, and the way to get through it is to do better, to live more righteously, to follow whatever the list of rules and regulations, whatever the, the, the religion happens to put out there. Jesus says, no, actually none of those things are the problem. The problem is not knowledge or lack of. It's not behavior or poor behavior. The issue is not that there's all these different ways and it really doesn't matter what you do. The, the, the wall, the barrier is sin. It's a broken relationship with God and he's the only one who can bridge the gap. 1 Timothy 2 says this about Jesus. This is good and pleases God our Savior. He's talking about praying for your leaders who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. As, as the only person in the history of people who is fully God and fully man, Jesus is unique in his ability to bridge the gap between the divine and the human. He's the only one who can relate fully to God and who can relate fully to humanity. That's why the gate is small, because it literally is one person wide. He's the only one who can fill the role that was needed. He's the only one who can pierce through this barrier of sin. He's the only one who can say, all of us, we've all sinned, we owe God a debt. Guess what? I can pay that for you to take care of the barrier that keeps you From God, no one else can do. Nobody else even claims to do that. He alone says, "I'm the mediator who can bring these two sides, God and people, together." The road is narrow because it has to be narrow, or the gate is small because it has to be. Because there's only one person who's successfully navigated through the barrier that keeps us from God. This idea of a few, some, well, how come only a few? are saved. And I don't know when you hear the word few, like I think of three. And so why? Why a few? There's a passage, I think it's in uh, Revelation 7. John is looking at the throne in heaven and, and all of the people surrounding the throne. And he says it's a multitude too great to count. So whatever a few means to God, it means more than three. There's two billion Christians in the world today. Christianity is the number one religion by adherent in the world. Even if half of those guys just checked it on the census because they didn't know what else they were, that's still a billion people who are saying, I have a relationship with God through Jesus. That's a lot more than what I think of when I think of a few. Whatever the number is, there are literally going to be billions and billions and billions of people in heaven. There are billions and billions of people throughout time who have a right relationship with Jesus. Now there are seven billion people in the world, so even if that two billion number, even if all of those are legitimate spirit filled bible believing jesus following people that still leaves five billion who are on the they're on the- they're on the wide road and not on the narrow road I think that's encouraging and um hopefully it speaks to us in terms of what our role is as well hopefully I, I don't want to say it's a word of warning i hope it's a, a, i hope it's an impetus to us to say if we're all on this interstate if everyone is born on this interstate and we're all headed on this broad interstate that's leading to destruction there is an exit ramp and it's jesus it's clearly marked in my opinion it's clearly marked and all of us serve as signs that say hey that's the way that's the way off that's part of what our responsibility is as witnesses when the bible talks about being witnesses That's what we do. We witness to the truth. We witness to the fact that there's an exit ramp that people can get off of. That by default, we're all on this broad road, but you can make a choice. You can find the way to eternal life. It's interesting the contrast between this idea of many enter the road uh, that's broad. Few find the road that leads to life. There's an intentional element there to me. There's this idea of saying you've got to make a choice. By default, you're going to be on the wrong road, but you can make a choice to get off. The right exit. And part of our responsibility is to help people know where that exit is. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you'll recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? No, they don't. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree can't bear bad fruit, and a bad tree can't bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You will know them by their fruit, or by their fruit you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons? and perform many miracles, and I will tell them plainly, I never knew you, away from me, you evildoers. So everyone's born on this broad road, we're all headed in the wrong direction, there's an exit ramp, it's there, but the gate is small, the road is narrow, few people, relatively speaking, find it. We have a responsibility to help point people in that direction, and what Jesus adds is, and you also need to know, there's false prophets, there's people who claim to be sent by God who are saying things that aren't true. They're going to try to keep you off of that exit ramp. They're going to try to keep you on this narrow road. Their motives, whatever their motives are, are are immaterial. He calls them ferocious wolves. That is, they're predators. But even in our day and age, there are people who are false prophets whose motives are not necessarily wicked. But they're still saying things that are not true. They're keeping people off of the exit ramp, the narrow road that leads to life, and are encouraging them to stay on to the broad road that leads to destruction. Nobody's saying that. I mean, nobody's standing up and saying, hey, here's the way to hell, come with me. That's not, that's not an effective sales pitch. But what they are saying is, you know what? It doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you believe it sincerely enough. That's the, one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. I sincerely believe that 2 plus 2 equals 7. It doesn't change reality, right? Sincerity is not the test of, your, of belief. Does it conform to reality? Yes or no? People are saying, again, maybe not with wicked motives. Jeez, who are, truth is culturally conditioned. Who are you to say that your truth is better than anyone else's truth? If you weren't, if you didn't happen to be born in the Bible belt when you were born, then you wouldn't believe all of these things. You would recognize that there's truth in many places. If God is really such a loving, Father, you don't punish anyone eternally. Why in the world would he send anyone to hell? That doesn't even make sense. You as an earthly parent don't do that to your own children, and yet you say there's this Father in heaven who does it to his. All of these things, they're they're not true. And they're people with whatever motive are saying, stay on this road, don't take the exit ramp. And how are we supposed to know who is who? Because these guys look good. They look like sheep. So how are we supposed to know if they look like sheep? And most of what you're going to hear, it's at least partially true. We've said before, the devil doesn't have horns and a tail and a pitchfork. Like, we recognize that. As Lori was saying earlier, he masquerades as an angel of light. Jesus says in Matthew 24 when he's speaking about the end times, and we all live in these last days. I don't know when Jesus comes back. Four days Four years, 400 years, I don't know. But I know we live in the time when he can. So that puts us in the last days. And he says in these end times, in these last days, false prophets and false Christs will appear. And they'll perform signs and wonders to deceive the elect if that were possible. There's this, there's going to, that's out there. There, there They're competing claims To to who God is and what he expects of us and how we're to relate to him and what our problem is and how that problem is dealt with. There are competing claims for all of that. And so how are we supposed to know? If everybody looks good on the outside, if it looks like some of this stuff works and this is a good person, how am I supposed to know? And what Jesus says is, you don't look for the miraculous, a miracle miracle. That's a display of supernatural power, and both teams have access to supernatural power. God has a whole lot more than the enemy, but the enemy has supernatural power. Why would the enemy ever do anything that we would consider good? Why would he ever perform some counterfeit miracle that looks good to us? If the end result is it leads people astray, he'll take that deal all day long. Ends justify the means for him. So if doing something in the moment then allows him to insert half-truth, lie, keep you away from, absolutely he's going to do that. And so we can't judge based on that. What Jesus says is fruit, character, lifestyle. Does the lifestyle of the messenger look like the lifestyle of someone who's being faithfully obedient to God, yes or no? That's, you can't counterfeit that over time. That's not something that can be fake over time and that's what we need to look at from these guys who are claiming to speak for God who are telling us hey this is the way that you can walk in and they're all over the place afternoon TV from 4 to 6 that's what you're going to hear here's the way walk in it look at their lives do they look like are they living a life that looks like the life of someone who is following Jesus who's being faithfully obedient to God the first step in that is Do they agree with Jesus? If they don't agree with Jesus, then they're not living a life of faithful obedience to God because that's step one, is agreeing with what God says about his son. If you get that part, then you begin to look at the rest. If you don't get that part, then you tune them off. You tune them out. They're a false prophet. Again, whatever their motives, those are irrelevant. What we're talking about is the content of what they're saying. And if they're not pointing people towards this exit ramp, then they don't need to be followed at all. because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. So Jesus personalizes what he just said. There's a road, there's a broad road, and a lot of, most people are, we're all born on it. A lot of people are still on it. There's an exit ramp. It's clearly marked. It leads to life. We have a responsibility to help people find that exit ramp. There's going to be others who are trying to say, no, you don't have to take that. Everybody's okay. How do we recognize those guys by the fruit of their life? Oh, and by the way. That same thing is laid on top of us. It's fruit that he's looking for from us as well. There's two kinds of people. People who know the truth and don't do anything about it. Those are folks who build their house on the sand. Then people who know the truth and live based on that. Those are the people who build their house on the rock. And what Jesus is saying is, what, what kind of person are you going to be? And there's, there's implications to that choice that we make. Am I going to choose to build my house on the sand? And when rains come and streams rise and winds blow, then I've got nothing left. My house doesn't make it. Or am I going to dig deep down to the bedrock? Am I going to put the words of Jesus into practice? And when all of those same things happen, both houses experience the same conditions. Building your house on the rock does not in any way say you're guaranteed a trouble-free life. It just says when you experience the troubles of life, you'll actually have something when they're done. It's it's not safety from, it's security through those difficulties that when there you'll have a you'll still have a house when all of that stuff is over. Is that works-based salvation? Is that God Jesus saying you've got to do these things? To be saved? No, not at all. We're, we're saved by grace. We're not saved by grace through mental assent. We're not saved by grace through knowledge. We're not saved by grace through being able to properly take a Bible competency exam. We're saved by grace through trust. And trust always results in action every time. Because I trust that Jesus paid for my sins, I don't try to work off my own debt. I don't put myself in make myself do penance every time I mess up because I trust that Jesus has paid for my sins. Because I trust that God is a good father. I can follow where he leads me. Even if I don't know where it is. Because I know ultimately he has my best at heart. You see that trust always results in action. And we're saved by by grace through trust. That's what Jesus is talking about. If you believe the things that I'm saying, then live like it. There's There's, there's a there should be a course, we, we've, the whole sermon is about heart. And we've said it it's all starts in here. And it always results in changed behavior. It doesn't start with changed behavior, but it results in changed behavior. And that's how Jesus closes. It's not enough for you just to know what I said. It's not enough for you to memorize what I said. It's not enough for you to agree with what I said. You have to do what I'm saying. That's a recognition that we trust him as savior, as king, as Lord, as father. Taking what he's saying and uh, basing our life upon it. So the question for us this morning is simple. Where are you building your house on the sand and where are you building your house on the rock? So this is that you've taken the exit ramp like you get it. You you recognize there's a narrow road, and I'm walking down this road, and so I'm asking you who are walking down that road, where are you building your house on the sand, and where are you building your house on the rock? There's fruit either way. If you're building your house on the sand, it, this is what you're going to experience. Worry, fear, anxiety, anger, maybe frustration. Frustration is not always a... Indicator that you're building on the sand. Sometimes it's an indication that God's trying to kind of move you from point A to point B, but it can be. Are there areas of your life where you're experiencing those emotions? Then most likely it's an area where you're building on sand. You may very well know the truth, but you're not doing anything about it. I was talking to somebody this week over a relatively petty issue, holding a grudge and uh, over a relatively minor issue, and I said, "Are you going to forgive this person?" And she said, "No." And I said, why? Because I don't want to. Well, what's that doing for you? She said, I'm great at holding grudges, and so I'm going to do that. And I said, well, you, this situation, like she can't go back and fix this. Like the deadline has passed. Literally, the deadline has passed. There's, there's no way to go back and undo what's been done. You realize that? Yes. So you being angry is not going to change any of that. I, I know. So you're not going to forgive? No. J- Jesus talks about forgiveness. I know, I'm just not going to do it. That's building on the sand, knowing the truth and just refusing to do so. And at some point, that's gonna come back and haunt this person because you can't compartmentalize your heart. And the fact that you're not forgiving here is gonna spill over into other relationships. That's the storm that's gonna come. For you, are there areas where you're experiencing weary, worry, fear, anxiety, stress, anger? You might be building on the sand. The fruit from building on the rock is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Those things can't be faked long term. If you're trusting in Jesus, it doesn't mean things aren't difficult. It doesn't mean they're not short It doesn't mean any of that. It just means through that. Your heart is at rest. The places where your heart is at rest, that that's fruit. That confirms to you, hey, I'm building on the rock. If we can know where we're living based on the fruit. To me, that's, that's God kind of giving, it's like midterms. It's a progress report. You can look at the fruit and know ultimately what are you building on, what's the foundation. And so take a moment and look, I was thinking of three areas and we're going to close with this. One is family. Next couple of weeks, a lot of you will be spending time with your family. For some people, that's awesome. And for some of you, it's awful. And wh- whichever that happens to be, what's going on in here? For some of you, um, you've been in the shower and you have a bar of soap and you hold it too tight, you know, it comes out and it lands on your toe and it hurts. And that's what some of us do to the people in our life. We, we so want what's right for them and what's best for them. And we can see the way that they're going and it's not good. And we squeeze too tight and we wind up losing them. That's most like you're building on the sand at that point. You're not trusting God. Some of you, your children are in a point of transition. They're going from elementary school to middle school or middle school to high school. or There's some transition going on. It's very difficult as parents to trust God in those moments of transit. It's like we're in this tunnel and we can't see what's on the other side. And it's the temptation for all of us is to grab on tighter. That's building on sand. With the best of motives, it's building on sand. I've got to learn how to trust God with a 12-year-old daughter and a three-year-old son and everything in between. What does that look like for me to build my parenting on the rock? For some of you, it's someone you're connected to who doesn't know the Lord and you so want them to and you're pressing. Relax. Trust God with their salvation. You can't make anybody take the exit ramp. They're responsible for their response to the Lord. Pray. Be a channel of grace. But you can't force anybody you can't argue them in. You can't. You, it doesn't work that way. If you argue them in, somebody else can argue them out. You want their decision to follow Jesus to be based on revelation from Him. Based on conviction from Him. Not based on the fact that you came up with the great argument. Or because you wore them down over time. Or any of those kinds of things. Employment. So Maybe you're considering a job change or a career change. In your professional life, are you building on sand? Or are you building on the rock? Are you chasing something? Are you chasing money or a promotion? Are you chasing um, accolades? Do you need to be noticed? Those types of things. That's building on the sand. Your identity is not based on any of those things. It's based on what God says about you and your relationship with him, that's building on the rock. And then those other things are fine if they come, but you don't have to have them. So professionally, sand or rock. And then as we kind of head into Christmas, another one that comes up is finances. Sand or rock. Is it a, port, is it a, a place of stress and anxiety for you financially? Are you trusting God in those places to provide for you? The reality is what it is whatever that debt is, all of that, that's, that's real, that's objective, that's the data. Building on the rock doesn't change that. That storm is there. But what it does change is your perspective through it. One of trusting him to be your provider, trusting him to take care of you. Doesn't mean that you don't have hard choices to make. Just means you recognize that somebody's walking with you through that. Versus you feeling like you've got to get out of debt on your own. Or feeling like you've got to take care of your family for the future on your own. Or you've got to be able to figure out what. No. There's, that's building on the sand. You know the truth that God is a provider. But you're not trusting him to be that for you. Let's pray. We're going to close with ministry. Austin's coming up. He'll lead us uh, in ministry. And then he'll dismiss us. We'll have ministry teams up in the front. And I just, a couple of things I want you thinking through. And then I want you to respond. One, if you'd sit there today and say, I don't think I've ever made the choice to take the exit ramp. I don't think I've walked through the narrow, the small gate. And I don't think I'm on the narrow road. Let today be the day. Ask the Lord, if, you're, if there's, what, what would prevent you from doing that? You don't think you need it? Ask Him to show you. God, is this necessary? You don't trust Him? God, I don't trust you. you got to show me that you're trustworthy. What is it that would keep you? You think you're good enough? God, am I, am I okay? Ask Him those questions. You don't have to take my word for it. Take it directly to Him. And for those of you who have taken the ramp, you're walking the narrow road my question to you is what area and what role of, in your life maybe are you building on sand is it as a husband is it as a father as an employer or an employee is it as a, a rec league soccer coach as a volunteer in a particular where is there an is there a role where you would say i'm not building on the rock God, I pray that you bring conviction into those areas of our life. True conviction, not false sense of guilt, but true conviction if there are places where we're building on the sand. And God, I pray that uh, this morning we make a commitment to dig deeper, to truly trust, to not just know, but to trust what you say is true. And I want to pray particularly for those who are uh, in the midst of maybe some career decisions, that you would bring clarity to them, even this week, God, that they would know with a greater sense of certainty where they need to be professionally. If it's staying where they are with a renewed sense of fulfillment and purpose, that's great. If it's taking a step of faith into a new job or a new career, then God, you would make that plain as well. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can stand and Austin will dismiss us when we're done.